Good morning, Living Hope. Uh, welcome. It is uh, so good to be with you this morning. Um, if you're uh, joining us from home, you, you don't need to adjust your television screen. If you're here, you don't need to wipe your eyes and look again. No, I am not Pastor Tim or Pastor Matt. Um, but I am here today and excited to be here to uh, to share God's Word with you today. Um, if you don't know me, my name is George Rebstead. I'm one of the elders here at Living Hope. Uh, humbled to serve in that way among our elder team and uh, just so happy to, to, to be here. Um, I also coordinate our worship team and, and thank you worship team for this morning. Just, just great worship. Uh, such a, such a humble group of folks that just want to serve God and, and praise Him well on Sundays and lead us in song. So thank you. About once a year or so as a, as an elder, I get an opportunity to, uh, to preach. I think, I think this is my third time. I was trying to figure out third or fourth maybe. Um, and it is always a humbling and an exciting experience. Partly because as anyone who teaches uh, from God's word or preaches will tell you that you know, God uses it to also teach and to grow you. And, uh, I'm, and so for that reason, I'm so thankful also for the opportunity. Um, as you know, we, if you've been with us at all, or, or if you've looked up at the screen this morning, you know, we have been talking this summer about the attributes of God, right? And, um, when we looked at the schedule for the summer as an elder team and Tim reached out and asked us to pray and see if any of us wanted to preach, um, you know, he asked us for kind of, you know, here's the, here's the, the ideas of the God's attributes that we want to preach on, you know, tell me which one is through prayer God speaks to your heart about, right? And so I thought about it and there were a few and, um, you know, I put it down and, and I think, uh, peace and order was the last one that I put on the list, right? And so, you know, so Tim turned around and, and, and the Lord led him to give me that topic today, um, so uh, it is it is not by coincidence that God wanted me uh, to do that. Um, you know, these attributes of God, what has our goal been this summer? Our goal has been to get this full scope, deep perspective on who God is. And why do we want to do that? Well, if we're going to obey and we're going to follow after God well, we have to know him, right? We have to know him well. It's essential that we know who he is. So we've been studying and seeking understanding and learning how we should live in light of God's attributes. And so today, peace and order. You know, if you were to get on your computer and go to Google or on your phone and you were to type in the word peace, in about a half a second, you would get about 1.4 billion responses. Or results. 1.4 billion. You would find definitions of peace, peace treaties, peace orders, plans for peace, videos about peace, song lyrics about peace, songs with peace in the title, organizations working for peace, quotes about peace, history of peace movements, social media pages about peace, people with peace in their name, books about peace, books about peace. Peace conferences, businesses about peace and using peace in their name, information on how to find peace, inner peace, right? And on and on and on. To say that as, as humans we have been seeking peace is, is just 
it doesn't even give it justice to say that because it's very clear it's been something that we've been seeking and we've been struggling with. So let me ask you today as we start, how do you define peace? Do you think about order when you think of the word peace? What kind of things come to your mind? What does peace look like in your life? What does it look like in you? You know, maybe if we're honest with ourselves, it may look uh, uh, something like a few of these things, right? Peace is when I'm not arguing with my spouse. Peace is when my kids aren't fighting. Peace is when things are going well at work and my boss is not breathing down my neck. I got to tell you, this week that one was real for me. Not so much because my boss was breathing down my neck, but things aren't great at work right now, right? Peace is when I'm on vacation. Peace is when I'm alone. Peace is quiet. Peace is when there's plenty of money in the bank. Peace is when I have good health. Peace is when I'm happy. When I'm happy with myself. Any of those sound familiar to you? Well, Christian, hopefully some of us thought about God and the peace of God when I asked that question. And how God is at work in our lives. But I want to challenge you even there this morning. Is that what our peace that we find from God is about? Or have we made it about what we want from God? Have we made it about our happiness? Maybe we feel like we are guaranteed this happiness as a believer. Here's the question. Is your definition of peace temporary? Is it dependent upon circumstances? Is it purely emotional? We're going to look to God and his attribute of peace to understand that attribute today. Let me pray for us as we move forward. Father, we are humbled again to be in your presence, and I am so thankful for this opportunity, Father. Father, I pray that you would give us a clear perspective on this attribute of peace, Father. Father, fill me this morning. May all the words that I speak bring honor and glory to you, Father. May we clearly see this picture. Amen. Amen. So in the New Testament, right, we have these letters. We have these letters that are written by apostles to people that they had brought the good news of Jesus Christ to, right? As they went around and they planted churches and the first churches were formed. Letters that had direction and encouragement. Letters that had exhortation and teaching. One of these places that uh, we see one of these letters about is the city of Corinth. A city that the Apostle Paul had spent about a year and a half in. Sharing the good news of Jesus and where a church was formed. See, Corinth as a city sat on the Mediterranean. And it was a Roman colony. It was a place where lots of ships were passing and going by. And because of that, it had many cultures and religions. In fact, many cultures and religions mingled there. It's been said that it was a place of many gods. And that, the, and that these many religions and gods were integrated into all aspects of their society. The city would see traveling uh, orators or professionals come and, and speak about how to get advancement in life and, and, and raise up your social status. And into that, Paul had brought the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
After the church was planted and Paul had moved on, he began to get reports of what was happening in the church of Corinth. Now, initially they were oral reports, but then a letter came. The church was dealing with several things. And they concerned Paul. They were dealing with things like sexual immorality, division in the church, elitism within the church, putting themselves above others in the church. There were theological confusions, participation in pagan religions. There was even issues within the way they, when they gathered together to worship as a congregation. See, there was a problem. There was an arrogance. There was a self-centeredness. There was a desire to put oneself above others, more concerned with what they wanted, with what they wanted, and their social status in the gospel of Jesus. One theologian says that what they really lacked was an appreciation for God's holiness, right? We talked about that attribute of God last week, his holiness, and that definition of holiness, that he has set apart, apart from the world and from sin and evil. When we think about that, we think of where Corinth was, it was clearly they were demonstrating their need to break away from their society and from their culture and the moral impurities of it. But loving them and loving Christ, Paul addresses these issues in a serious letter to them. In chapters 12 through 14 of, of uh, 1 Corinthians, as we begin to, to look at one of these issues, Paul is addressing what is happening in their corporate worship specifically. And what was happening was there were those that had been gifted by the Spirit to speak in tongues. But what was happening within these worship service was that they weren't using this to magnify God. In fact, they were really just using it to show off. People would stand up and speak in tongues with no one there to interpret it or teach from it. And it just didn't, it didn't make sense. There was lots going on. And it was very, very confusing. So after clarifying in chapter 14 the proper use of these gifts, Paul sets some specific direction to their corporate worship. In verses 27 through 32, Paul talks about speaking one at a time in tongues and not even doing it aloud if there's no one there to interpret. And he talks about limiting those that are, that are speaking so that so that what they speak and what they prophesy could be discerned well. And then in verse 33, after all of that, Paul says this. He says, for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. Paul here refers to an attribute of God that he knows. That God is a God of peace and order. Paul is saying that what was happening there in the chaos and the disorder in these selfish displays meant that it wasn't of God, that the Spirit of God was not leading it. It was what they wanted. Right? You see, Paul knows this attribute of God well from Scripture, from his life, from his time walking with Jesus, from the understanding that God has given him. And so now what I want to do is I want to explore that same understanding that Paul had. You know, if we look all the way back to the beginning, if we look all the way to creation, 
we can clearly see that it reveals the order and peace of God. As God, He set things in order. When you read Genesis 1, you see that He put things in order. There was day and there was night. There were the heavens and there was the earth. All kinds of plants and creatures He created. He created even us in His own image. And He gave order to it all. Gave order to the heavens and the earth. His creation is incredible and it's meant to reveal His majesty. And in many ways it still does today. I can remember just a few years ago I had an opportunity to go on a missions trip to Haiti. And while we were in Haiti, we we needed to paint a roof at Source of Life, a concrete roof. Now it's hot in Haiti, right? And so we're there in the summertime, we have to paint this concrete roof, and the only way we're going to be able to do that is if we get to it before it gets hot, right? So we got to get up early in the morning while it's still dark outside. And I can remember walking out of the building that we were staying in, and I don't remember if somebody, exactly how it happened, if someone else pointed it out first, or if I just looked up, but I looked up and literally nearly fell to my knees. The stars and the planets looked like you could touch them. (laughs) It was incredible, incredible. Anybody ever see stars like that somewhere where it's really dark, right? Just absolutely incredible. God setting all things in order. His creation had a beautiful pattern to it. And science sometimes tries to tell us that, that there's no order to it. But the reality is when you really look at it, it points to Him. It points to God. But Scripture goes beyond just telling us that peace and order uh, are about this lack of, of chaos or order. It gets much deeper than that. It's wide, it's deep, and so we want to explore that. In fact, as we look beyond the idea of order and chaos, and we look further in the Old Testament, the word that is often used is, for peace is shalom. Shalom as peace conveys this idea of well-being, of harmony, both within and outside of yourself, of God. Completeness, wholeness, well-being. Interestingly, it also kind of includes the ideas of hardiness, of energy, of a vibrancy for life. Psalm 29.11 May the Lord give strength to His people. May the Lord bless His people with peace. We heard that read this morning, didn't we? God is the God of peace and order. He is the source of our peace and order. And we see throughout Scripture prayers and requests to this God of peace to be with us, to be working in us, providing salvation, justification, the sanctification that we so desperately need. See, this peace is about the health of our souls, the condition of our hearts. Now let me say this, although peace may have a sense of rest to it, make no mistake that when peace is authored by God, it does not reflect inactivity. From creation throughout Scripture, and in creation now, in us, God is constantly at work in more ways than we can really comprehend. Right? So as we wrap all of this together, let me share with you theologian Wayne Grudem's definition of God's attribute of peace and order from his book, Systematic Theology. He says this, 
God's peace means that God, that in God's being and in his actions, he is separate from all confusion and disorder. Yet he is continually active in innumerable, well-ordered, fully controlled, simultaneous actions. Separate from all confusion and disorder. Constantly acting in full control. Why? How is that possible? Well, think about the attributes of God that we've looked at this summer, right? It's possible for God because He is consistent, eternal, faithful, unchangeable, all-knowing, all-powerful, just, loving, merciful, beautiful, glorious. He's God. Amen? So as we understand now and start to look deeper and even deeper and apply what this God of peace and order is all about, we see how God has authored this peace and we as humans are so often seeking peace, but we clearly struggle to take hold of it. And as we think back to creation and what I was talking about, all God had made and it was good, we know what happened next, don't we? Sin entered the world. Adam and Eve sinned against God. All of humanity would now take on this sinful nature. And because of this sin, the world would no longer function in the peaceful, orderly fashion in which it was designed. Yes, as I talked about, we can still see much of the order God intended. But the beauty is that it's reflecting Him and revealing Him, but it lacks the fullness of God. Because of sin... See, we experience disorder. We experience disease and death. And these, make no mistake about it, are attacks on God's peace. They are the consequences of sin. Sin breeds chaos. It breeds disorder. Sin disrupts our soul and sin alienates us. It separates us from God. Yes, there is disorder in this world, but hear this reality, because of sin, there is chaos and disorder within our very souls. All have sinned. I have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We are all at odds with God in our natural state. And we need a perfect peace treaty. We don't need a truce or a ceasefire so we can sit down and figure this out. Unforgiven, sin leads to death and eternal separation from God. Isaiah 57, 21. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. Our understanding of God's attributes so far, yes, God the Father, the author of peace, the order from the very beginning. But in His infinite wisdom, He initiated a plan even then to provide that perfect peace treaty for us. You know, I, I, I searched for an idea of trying to find something to compare to what Christ has done for us. And it's so hard, isn't it? It's so hard. Because nothing really measures up. I, I had the opportunity in my life to work in a, in a hardware store. Uh, it was owned by my, my wife's family and uh, was around for a very long time. And uh, one of the things I quickly realized as I waited on customers there and I did things is there's a perfect tool, or so it would seem, a good tool for every job, right? 
Anybody know what I mean? What I mean by that is that, you know, you know there's drill bits, and drill bits make a hole, but there are drill bits that are specific types with coatings and patterns to put holes in specific things and specific types of materials. The tools fit the job. They make life easier. Man, let me tell you, when I bought a house and I started doing home improvements my, uh, projects myself, mind you, it cost me some money. I, I knew what the right tools were. It made things much better. That's helpful and that's good. But folks, our lives are not just projects in which God wants to give us something good or helpful. He is interested, he isn't interested in just making things easier. We have a disease and from that disease we need a cure. A redemption, a restoration, peace with God. So what is this perfect peace treaty? We see in the Old Testament that the prophets proclaiming the coming of the Prince of Peace, right? So now as we look beyond God the Father and we begin to look at God the Son, Jesus, we see Scripture define Him as the Prince of Peace. God had set in motion a plan, a covenant, a covenant that you've probably heard referred to as a covenant of grace, also known as a covenant of peace. And so enters Jesus, our perfect peace treaty and our cure. And we know that Jesus was fully God and fully man. And although he acted under the authority of God, he was at peace with the Father. And he made peace for us with the Father. During his life, we see how he showed and told all that he was this promised one, that he was this Prince of Peace. But he also said that he didn't come just to bring peace on earth. Yes, he performed miracles. He calmed the seas. We talked about it. We sang about it. He healed the sick. He even raised the dead. And all those played a role in his ministry and in God's plan. But ultimately, Christ was not concerned for our comfort here on earth. Or a temporary fix. Sound familiar? Remember that word temporary I was talking about? Right? He was concerned for our very souls. He came to provide not a temporary peace, but an everlasting one. In the birth, life, crucifixion, death, and resurrection of Jesus, we can obtain peace with God. We can understand this attribute of God's being the God of peace and order. The only way that we can find forgiveness of our sins. Knowing that Jesus has done for us what no one else could, that he has taken our place, paying for our sin with his very life, right? Rising from the dead, today sitting at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us, having provided eternal life for us. Let me break that down for you like this. What it's about is it's about saying this God, I need you to take over. My life isn't working. Get all these things out of my life that are misleading me. I want you to run my entire life. Make me a new creation in you. I want to only serve you. And so, that is how, where we find salvation. And in salvation, we more fully understand peace as an attribute of God. I'm going to go one step further, folks. We're going to look at 
how peace as an attribute of God is also seen in something that He gives us. Something that He gives us when we are saved. And that is the Holy Spirit. As Thomas Watson says in his book, A Body of Divinity, about peace, God the Father decrees it, God the Son purchases it, and the Spirit applies it. As Jesus neared death in His life, as His crucifixion was coming, and He was continuing to teach the apostles and to be with them, the reality that He would be leaving them was setting in. They had walked with Him, seen the miracles, known in Him as God, but they now struggled to understand why He had to die. Why He had to leave them. Not understanding what He meant by the the things He said that showed that He would rise again and what He had for them in eternity. They feared life without Him. In the midst of this, Jesus promised them a helper. A helper to teach and to guide them. To help them recall all that He had taught them. And this helper was the Holy Spirit. Let me read to you John 14, 25-28. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. The words of Jesus. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. While directed at His disciples, we know further from Scripture that this has application to us. That when He sent the Holy Spirit as this helper, that when we come to salvation and we know Christ, we have the Holy Spirit that comes to live and dwell in us. To be our helper, teaching and guiding and recalling all of who He said He is. All that He has done and taught us. And did you hear that while He was making that promise of of the Holy Spirit? What He said? talked about peace again here not meaning no hostility or the absence of conflict and trouble but leaving them with the blessing of a right relationship with god see just looking on a very high level christ brings salvation and redemption and through faith we receive this and god justifies us he makes us right before him our sins are forgiven christ's righteousness belongs to us and we are right in god's sight peace with god Romans chapter 5 talks about this peace with God through faith. Romans 5.1 Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have a peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We know that God also adopts us as believers, making us part of His family, making us children of God. We enter into a relationship with Him. And we know that God's done all this with the promise of eternal life with Him one day. But we are still here on earth walking through this life. And so believers, His work continues in us all the days of our lives. While we are forgiven, He continues to help break us more free from our sin and more Christ-like. Yes, God is Father. 
and God as Jesus play roles in our sanctification, but it is the Holy Spirit who works inside of us, changing us and sanctifying us. As we are sanctified by God, by the Holy Spirit, and as we become more Christ-like, we begin to bear fruit, the Scripture tells us. Yes, God has a role in sanctifying, but we have a role as well in walking with the Spirit, walking in step with the Spirit, following closely after God, obeying Him, listening to the guidance of the Holy Spirit through prayer and Scripture. Paul in Galatians talks about what that looks like, that walking in step, being directed and guided, keeping us from the desires of the flesh, as he calls it. Paul reminds us of all the sin that our flesh desires and then contrasts it with the fruits of the Spirit. Galatians 5, 22-24, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and what? Peace. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. As we go through this process of sanctification, following closely after God, walking in the Spirit, we bear this fruit. That fruit includes peace. The peace of God. See, we are no longer enemies with God. The Holy Spirit is the one that applies that peace. Now listen to me. Today's message is not to convince you that God is the God of peace. That wasn't what I was after. The goal has been to understand these attributes of God, to see them in Him, to understand what we mean when we say that God is a God of peace. The goal is also to provide some insight. I apologize. I didn't realize this was coming off. Give me one second. Sorry, rookie mistake. Again, today's, today's message is not about convincing you that God is the God of peace and order. The goal has been to understand it and how we see it in God, to understand what we mean when we say it. The goal is also to provide some insight in how these attributes of peace and order should impact our lives. God is the God of peace and order. Peace and order are foreign to us in this world, to this world, and in our souls, again, because of sin. So how are we to live in light of God's attribute of peace and order? First, let me say, there's one very clear way. Meant to impact the way we live. If we are to know peace, we must know the God of peace. We have to understand that sin has made us enemies of God. That we are sinful people by our nature like I've talked about. But God desires to make peace with us through Jesus. We need to acknowledge Him as Lord and Savior of our lives. Give our lives over to Him to be redeemed by His blood. We can no longer live in sin in light of Jesus' sacrifice. And certainly, certainly, we can't live in sin and claim the peace of God. Peace is a matter of the heart. It is foremost about the state of your soul. We cannot expect real and lasting peace absent from God and His saving grace. That's first and foremost, folks. But then, Christian, how are we 
who know Christ to live in light of these attributes of peace and order. Knowing God means having access to his peace. Knowing God and understanding his attribute of peace also means we are to look to imitate his attributes. As we are told in Ephesians that as children of God, we are to be imitators of God. So very practically, there are probably many ways that I could talk to you about applying that peace in your life. But God has given me four. Okay? And I want to bring those to you now. The first one is put sin to death. Put sin to death. Go to war with sin. Scripture tells us that God has removed our sin as far as from the east is from the west in Christ. And this promises us eternal life. But while we remain here, living on this earth, living out this life God has called us to, to glorify Him, His work will continue in us. Right? We've talked about the work that God has done and He'll do throughout our lives. We still battle temptation and sin, don't we? As the Holy Spirit reveals our sin to us in this process, we need to rely on His strength and power. We need to call on Him. We need to confess our sin to God and repent. We need to turn away from our sin. See, our sin makes it so God is hard to see and we can't communicate with Him clearly. Confession is what wipes away all that stuff between us and God. Confession brings repentance. And that repentance is seen in turning away from sin and returning to God. Unconfessed sin, sin that has been revealed to us as believers by His Spirit, that we may even hide from one another, and put on a mask, it causes us to groan, folks. It rots away in us. I know that all too well. I know that all too well. When I've been in those places of unconfessed sin, when when there's been real problems in my life, when things that I have done, I've sinned against God and others, He does I, I'm not in a place of peace. I'm far, far from it. Far, far from it. And biblical confession also includes confessing our sins to one another. As God tells us. And sometimes that confessing of our sins to one another as Christians is often where we find powerful healing from sin. Confession to God alone at times can be too easy. But if we are to put sin to death, we need to be open and honest with God and with one another about our struggles. And God calls us to that in Scripture. Our brother and sister can relate. Yes, confessing sin can be painful. But there is joy on the other side. Others can help carry our burden, pray for us, bring accountability. It is a way God uses the fellowship of believers in us to put sin to death. When we don't put sin to death in these ways, 
We cannot be living in light of God's attribute of peace. There's no peace in sin, no peace within, no harmony with God and with others. Sin only brings chaos and confusion. In the book, The Body of Divinity, again, I quoted this earlier from Thomas Watson. He says it this way. Hear these words. You may as well suck health out of poison as peace out of sin. We need to put sin to death in our lives. Secondly, living in light of God's peace, I believe, means that, that we are also to be at peace with others. God, through Jesus, brought peace between man and God. And Scripture calls us to love one another, even to love our enemies. We are to pray for one another. Bear each other's burdens. Romans 12, talking about the true marks of a Christian or the marks of a true Christian. Bless those who persecute you. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in what? Harmony and peace with one another. Don't put yourself above others. Lift up others. Serve the weak. As far as you can control it, live at peace with all. Now, not all will want peace with you, but it's our responsibility to seek it. Overcome evil with good. And in doing so, you will be revealing and showing God and His love to all. That they may come to know Him. That they, that God may be glorified in that. To live in light of God's attribute of peace, we need to seek peace with others. And folks, let me take that home real close. That's not just random people at work or that we walk to on the sidewalk. That's our wives and our children and in our homes, in our lives. All the people that we are closest to, we need to seek peace with them. And so many times in my life I've been guilty of not doing that. It's one place God has worked hard on me in this. Thirdly, we need to seek peace for others. Very practically, we have been called to share the good news of Jesus Christ. To share it with the world. God gives us clear direction to us in the Great Commission. We are to do this with a sense of urgency. God has delayed judgment for this purpose. Sharing the message of the gospel, working through us to glorify Him. We know so much of what I talked about today, that God has provided salvation through Christ Christ, and, and to this peace with God, and we are to share that good news with the world. Allow others to know about and enter in that perfect peace treaty with God. Lastly and fourthly, as we think about the attribute of peace and order, and we apply it and we live it, We need to walk closely with God, and we need to trust Him in all circumstances. Walk closely with God through prayer, through the reading of His Word, through the fellowship with believers. Walk closely with God means earnestly seeking after Him, leaving this world behind and separating ourselves from sin. We cannot understand and demonstrate the peace of God living with one foot in this world while looking to Christ.
Scripture tells us that just isn't possible. Additionally, as believers, Satan cannot destroy us, folks. We know that. But he can disrupt with temptation. He can disturb our peace. And so we have to draw close to God. We have to walk closely with Him. We have to be walking in the Spirit. And this goes hand in hand with trusting God in all circumstances. Folks, that, that, there is no question about it. That is so more easily said than done. Today I could have preached an entire sermon. There's probably so many that are so long, and God's Word spends so long on it, trying to understand having a peace in all circumstances. The disease and disorder and sin of this world are painful. There's no question about it. God does not promise us as believers here on earth an easy life that we desire. We're going to face many hard times. We will experience sickness, loss. Many of us will battle with anxiety and fear. Believe me, I understand these struggles. Believe me, as I look around this room, there are people I know who understand and have been through these struggles. Right? We're going to be in hard times. We're going to be in places... We're going to be in places where our our little daughter lies on a table, right? Battling a respiratory virus that she can't do anything about. And the doctors are, are trying to get her through that. And I remember this so clearly. They put the mask on her and I had to hold her when they did. And her body shook as they tried to get her to breathe and to understand. Those things shake you to your core. When cancer comes, when the storms of life toss us to and fro, we are shaken to the core. There's no doubt about it. When just this very week, a loved one, someone who knew God, but, but a mother, a sister, a friend, lost her battle with an illness, it shakes us. It rattles us. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? You know what I'm talking about? When these things come, there's only one way that we can have peace. We can still find peace in these circumstances. Why? Because our peace, the peace of God, is rooted in something that is not temporary. It's not based on our circumstances. It's not based on our emotions. When those things toss us to and fro, we know that God is still God. Right? And that again, folks, I tell you that is not, that is more easily said than done. When those storms come, if we haven't walked closely with God, how can we expect to know and experience His peace? Again, how those two things go hand in hand. Experiences in His peace. 
knowing His peace and walking closely with Him. So I'm going to invite the worship team back up for us this morning. And as I do, I want to read to you a verse that is so clear. It's a verse that we actually sang earlier today. And I think probably as we walk out at the end of service, if I'm not mistaken, we may hear him play it again. Philippians 4 states this so clearly for us. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. When you have learned and received and heard and seen me, practice these things. Who can say that last line with me? And the God of peace will be with you. Put your trust in God. Put it fully in Him. Walk in Him. That's the way in which we truly, truly understand and live out the attribute of God's peace and order. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, Father, we are such such fickle beings. We are so easily tossed about in this world, Father. Father, we've seen today your attributes of peace and order, that you are a God of order, that you desire peace for us. Your peace, it is unchanging. Your peace, it lacks chaos and disorder. And we know, Father, that sin brings that. And so, Father, we first have to know you. Father, I pray that if there is anyone listening today or anyone that is here today that doesn't know you, Father, that they would ask those important questions. That they would seek to find out what I was talking about this morning when I talked about that God is a God of peace and Christ has provided his salvation. But, Father, as we live together as believers and we with you and we walk through this earth, in this life that you've left us to glorify you, Father, I pray that you would help us to put sin to death. Father, I pray that you would help us to live and walk closely to you, to seek peace with others, to share your peace with the world. And Father, I pray as we draw close to you, that we would know this peace that passes all understanding. In your son's name I pray. Amen. Let's stand together and worship this morning.